Hey, Jeffrey. Yes? Could you just, like, not be a total contrarian today? I will do my best, but I can't make any promises. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome, denizens of the doldrums, to another exciting episode of Halo's Heaven Radio. I am your top sad sack on the day, and my name is Rick Sodras. I am joined by two esteemed fans of mediocrity in Rahul Seti. Hello and welcome. And Jeffrey Tan. <laughs> Are you ready to be entertained more than an Angels game? I am always ready to be entertained more than the Angels can do. Because <laughs> that's what we're bringing this next hour. Today we're going to be talking... We, normally we go ahead and we do a preview and a review of the past couple weeks and... You know, we do all the normal stuff we do, but today we have nothing but rage inside of us. So today we're going to let Jeffrey Tan take the wheel, and he's going to start us off with a little bit of anger. Jeffrey has no anger. All right, I'll take the wheel here. I'll take the wheel. <laughs> Rahul will take right. the will take the wheel. <laughs> after after an exciting series against the Dodgers in which the Angels took two games and prevailed over their blue brethren, um, they faced the Orioles and they promptly lost and almost got swept. And again faced the flailing Detroit Tigers and almost got swept again. And now they've played Cleveland and lost a pair. And actually, they they also got swept. I'm sorry. (laughs) Baseball reference is not updated. (laughs) So that makes the Angels like one and two and seven, two and eight eight in their last ten, which is pitiful. Um, The Angels have seen their playoff odds drop from 5.4% down to a measly 0.1%. I think our podcast performance so far has been (laughs) akin to the Angels' performance the last week. Unfortunately, but hey, that also means that there's still a chance. But at the same time, the Angels have no pitchers left because everyone got injured. Felix Pena tore his ACL, um, covering on a on a PGP play. Um, PVP. PVP. Sorry. <laughs> PFP. Pitcher. Oh my goodness. Pitcher fielding <laughs> position. Pitcher fielding position. <laughs> <laughs> um, Griffin Canning got uh, right elbow inflammation, which is, you know, um, you know, this is the Angels, so we don't know if it's more than that. <laughs> um, Andrew Heaney is Andrelton Simmons has gotten injured. What, what was that? Like an ankle, a foot? Yeah, he probably fell down foot. the stairs again. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, it's one of those stretches that make you go. Hey, I'm an Angels fan. And that's all I got. Yeah, I think uh, when, Rick, when you asked me if I'm angry, I'm probably more angry at Rumble right now for that. But, <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's it was a pretty pitiful week. The Angels did nothing to address their pitching issues uh, because the trade deadline passed. We covered that. And then they limped into Cleveland, played them tough for, like, three innings, and then lost the other 24 that was hard math well i think we can excuse everyone here for feeling a little less than um accurate about the way the week went since everything was just constant reasons to want to throw yourself off a cliff um (laughs) we definitely (laughs) could have we definitely could have um seen a bit more of a an offensive performance or a defensive performance or a pitching performance from literally anybody on the entire squad since our top performer on the week offensively happened to be a player who was designated for assignment. Um, He had four plate appearances with a 1250 OPS and that was Jonathan Lucroy. And when Lucroy is your top performer, it's probably time to just go ahead and accept the tank. Who, by the way they could not find a trade partner for, which is the reason why he had to be designated for assignment, which I mean, is also I'm, exciting. I just want to say I'm proud of the other 29 teams in baseball for not giving up assets for Lucroy. I think that's a step in the right direction. 
we're not making Vernon Wells esque trades anymore around baseball. Um, we're holding on to our assets. I'm proud of them. Yeah, me too. It's 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 really nice to see that you know <laughs> probably what ninety six percent of baseball teams just have everything together. They have it all figured out. Um, they know not to acquire Jonathan Lucroy. And I think that that says a lot about the state of baseball today and um, the state of 29 teams. Yeah, you know, I <laughs> wish the Angels were part of those 29 teams, but unfortunately um, they were running Jonathan Lucroy out there and they had some pitching issues for the entire season and last season and the season before that. But this week we are just focusing on this week right now. You and know, what? what can you say? It's hard being in the bottom 4%. Yeah, you know, I think that's an accomplishment because we made it that far. But anyway... We haven't uh, gotten that far yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the few good things this week. Uh, Mike Trout, who is not looking great, is not looking his (laughs) best, is striking out a decent amount, is swinging through pitches, is... Feasting on first pitches because I feel like he knows he's not putting up good at bats. And all he did was have a 1.021 OPS, hit two homers, walk three times, and double twice. Raised his career OPS, by the way, which is almost at one. Yeah, it's it's going over and under. Uh, I think Rick has some observations about Trout and what he's doing this past week. But the crazy thing is that the numbers are still there. I did have some observations about Mike Trout. And you know what? I really don't feel like talking about him. <laughs> I'll mention him anyway, but it's just it's just a pain to watch him honestly lately. I don't know how a guy that is slugging 636 with a 385 on base percentage could possibly make you sick to your stomach. Yet he manages it. That's what you get that's what you expect from the best player in baseball. He can rise above your expectations for mediocrity and still manage and still manage to tick you off even as he has a 1000 plus ops that's what you expect from ted williams that's what you expect from mickey mantle and that's what you expect from mike trout that that's what the whole expectations versus reality debate comes into question like yeah he did put up good numbers uh but the angels lost a lot of games it seemed like he didn't have a lot of meaningful at bats this week if you know what i mean like obviously it wasn't his fault but are they empty numbers right now i mean his homer um on friday against the indians put the angels up one nothing and then they went up and gave up four runs in the first inning and never recovered from that so he did manage to fail multiple times with runners in scoring position and the bases loaded um for the most of the year he's been one of the most clutch hitters in baseball but the past week or two he has definitely flailed in those positions, so would it be would it be fair to speculate that he might still be bothered by the groin or still suffering from an injury? I don't think he's injured. I think that he's just pressing. I think he has the the weight of the whole team on his shoulders because of you know how badly they've struggled ever since the Orioles series. Because during the Orioles series, the whole team was still off, was still hitting. Sleep? They, they no, just, no. The whole the, the team was still asleep. You mean to say? No, they no, still I had don't the think hitting. You meant to say. No, I mean, the pitching was absolutely the game, and then the next. <laughs> I don't know. They, they still scored quite a few runs, but the pitching was atrocious for that entire series. And I think he has kind of taken it upon himself to be the entire team, which is what I've expressed that I think Upton does too. I think Upton's done that. I think a lot of team, a lot of the team members do that. But I think Trout. I think whenever he gets in these stretches, I think he's trying to do too much, as he likes to say. And whenever he tries to do too much, he doesn't perform to his level. And I think that's what's happening. I think it's that simple. I'm not going to speculate too much, but I think his timing is off. I think it's very apparent. I think it could be possible that that's that's one problem, and the other problem is that he has the world on his shoulders. Um, It's possible. But I don't know that that's the main concern right now. No, what the main team. concern is, the main concern is that our leadoff guys, namely David Fletcher, haven't been getting on for him either. Fletcher has oh, sucked yeah, Fletcher the past had a week. Pretty miserable week, yeah. Yeah, that's true. 
Every I single mean, we, time he comes to bat, he would get out. Every single time. Yeah. Yeah, and he struck out four times in six games, which is probably more than his average. I mean, that's pretty and crazy. three of those were in one game. That's yeah, unheard of. Yeah, he just couldn't see Clevenger at all. Exactly. So, yeah, it was David Fletcher. Um, I love the guy. Everyone loves the guy. But this past week, he has been one of the main issues, in my opinion. And actually, based on the stats, he and Upton were the two worst offensive players on the team that had a meaningful number of at-bats. So, Yay? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not like everyone else is exempt either. Uh, you look at Kevin's, basically the catching this week, um, other than Luke Roy, who caught that one game and was the best on the team. Kevin Smith caught three games, um, had a 400 OPS. Garneau, who was designated for assignment, caught two games, had a 452 OPS. And Stassi caught two games and struck out half the time. Hasn't even hit the ball out of the infield, I don't think. And I actually think you're actually looking at a uh, unupdated numbers because Garneau's numbers for the past week were actually... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Never mind. I was just misreading it. You're right. <laughs> I'm just blind, as well as angry. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's not like that. those are the only two guys, Fletcher and Upton. You have Pujols, Goodwin, Renhifo. They're all struggling. Even Otani had yeah. a bad week. Like he, I don't know if he's... He's been struggling since the All-Star break. Yeah, I don't think he's been seeing it at all. And you know what? Break. I'm actually... Part of me is really glad he didn't do the home run derby because if he had, everyone would be like, oh my gosh, it's all the home run derby's fault. Blah, 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 blah. It's not the home run derby. You know okay? you know whose fault it was? He's struggling because he didn't do the home run derby. How's that for he didn't Because he didn't get an invite. Yes, he's hurt emotionally. <laughs> the weight of the world is on his shoulders because he didn't go to the home run derby. But guys, can we talk about how the Angels had that one team meeting and then proceeded to lose two games in a row? For five I barely minutes, even heard about five it. Five minutes. It wasn't even a big enough deal to be like news. I mean, I like, heard about it in passing. It, it the way it was the way it was reported on, it, it sounded like it was a five to ten minute thing. And I'm, yeah, to me, I'm just like, do they not do that every single day before the game? Do they, does Osmus not? gather them up and say like okay let's go win today i mean does that not happen i don't know how baseball teams are run but it seems like that should be standard right it sounds like what happened was they said okay we're gonna go ahead and have a closed door meeting and then he walked back there after closing the door and was like all right guys let's go ahead and win for once please and then open the door again that's what they made it sound like <laughs> See, yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he didn't say that during the Orioles series <laughs> because we did win once during the Orioles series. He knew we needed it during this series and didn't come through. Yeah. I, I would really like to have been a fly on the wall during that meeting, though, just to hear him be like... Because, like, Osmus doesn't come across as the inspirational type. Mm -hmm. So I would have liked to have heard what he had to say. How he and could... What, yeah. And what drained our players of so much emotion over the past two days. <laughs> like how he tries to fire up the troops, you know what I mean? I feel like Mike Socio would be much better at, at inspiring a team than Brad Osmus. Has Osmus even been mad on the field this year? Like, he's just looked annoyed a lot. But Socio has, well, obviously had more opportunities to do so, but he's definitely I, been mad out on the field. I don't know. I think they're both pretty equally, like, nonchalant yeah. about everything. They both have that, you know, the you remember the Socia face in the dugout? Yeah, yeah. But All he, those memes? I'm saying yeah. when he came out, he would get animated. When Auspice comes out, he's just, like, kind of walking towards an umpire, maybe asking a question, turns around, goes back. Whenever whenever Osmus walks out of the dugout, it honestly looks like he's about to go tell the umpire, like, hey, you're doing a great job out there. Maybe Maybe try and call a strike, though. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, that's like his demeanor. To each his own style, but I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen any manager other than ours so what's the word I'm looking for? Um, disinterested in defending his team. <laughs> to be fair, Brad Osmus did get ejected once for defending Mike Trout's strike zone in June, back in June, against the Mariners. That's because he knew that if he allowed Mike Trout to get ejected, For he would get in ever, so much yeah. trouble. 
<laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I completely agree. Brad Osmus is not the kind of person to fire up the team. He's not the kind of person to ra- rally the troops. The only time I've seen genuine emotion from him was in that interview, um, the the team presser from after Skaggs. Oh yeah, because he like that 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 one you could tell like he was genuinely he had a lot of genuine emotion in there. But other than that, I have not seen him look anything more than just a little like irritated at times. Maybe that's good because he can keep it together throughout the entire season. Goodness knows if I was managing a team or this team or any team. I don't know if I could do it day in and day out. Just look happy in the dugout, happy after a loss. I don't know. Just like that's that's a good point. You know, I yeah. I can't even hardly stomach to watch these games through game day. Let alone yeah, exactly. <laughs> let alone yeah. sit in the dugout and be a part of the team. He, you have to respect him because he is watching <laughs> the games. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Yeah. Like we're all here. We're like, like I said in that post game. We're all passing the post game between us. Like, like I really what? don't feel like doing this one. You want to take care of it? We're gonna lose so badly. Like he actually has to be there. You gotta, you maybe, gotta give credit maybe. to the guy for for not puking his brains out every day. Yeah, it's not like you can go. Hey, uh, <laughs> you want to manage like, today? Seems like we're holding Brad Osmus to a very low standard. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's just that. But, okay. I think We're holding doing, the Angels to a low standard. Yeah. But I think he's been doing a fine job. If you look at the past week, for example, he needed to get Buttry and Robles work. But he took them out in the middle of innings because perhaps they'd hit some predetermined pitch count. Whereas I think Sosha or someone else might have left them in to finish the inning. Like Buttry yesterday, because he finished one inning in nine pitches, he got the chance to go out for a second one. And he ran into a little bit of trouble. But the trouble was just one base runner. But he had hit his 20 pitches, and Osmus didn't want to overwork him, so he took him out in the middle of the inning. Same with Robles today, who was just trying to get work, but he ran into a lot of trouble. And he got taken out after two outs, whereas Sosha might have let, left him in this, um, to finish the inning, even though it was garbage time. So I think I think that's good. I think he's doing a good job of benching Upton, rotating him in and out as, as best as he can do, because it's not realistic to bench Upton full-time. Uh, I don't know if moving him down is the proper in the order is the proper recourse right now, considering the rest of the lineup is um, has stopped hitting as well. So I don't I don't know if there's a lot more he can do right now. I completely agree. Um, and actually, even though I'm the one who coined the big brain Brad thing, and um, I've been pretty critical of him, realistically, if I look deep inside myself. I completely believe that managers don't really have that much of an impact on the season. To be honest, I completely believe that. Like Brad Osmus, Mike Sosha, it doesn't matter who it is. The team just sucks right now. Like I mean, it's that yeah, simple. Yeah, you could you can make that generalizing statement, or just even looking at this season, I would be very comfortable in saying that anyone else managing the team would not have it better, like more than two games better at max. Based on yeah, breaks I, and stuff, I, I don't think you can say anything more than that. It's it's not the manager. Um, it's the team construction, and we discussed this earlier today. Um, mostly me and uh, Andrew, actually Turk's teeth. We uh, discussed this quite a, at length, but um, yeah, I kind of tuned it out because it was getting long. Yeah, I do. I do get kind of long with that, but basically, in essence, we were. Um, complaining that the um, acquisition of a large amount of pitchers with heavy injury history or low inning counts is not a great basis for success. Yeah. Do you agree with that? But what if they have velocity, Rick? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is the biggest indicator of success, Rahul. I will say that. <laughs> Velocity is the biggest indicator of success. You're right. I should know better <laughs> than to speak my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, when you barely have en- enough starting pitchers to get through a season as it is, and then you go out and sign barely a few more that couldn't even stay healthy the previous season, 
I'm not sure that that is a recipe for any modicum of success, especially speaking when your team already continues to have poor injury history year in and year out with no sign of anything changing. And speaking more generally, I think that, and I've said this before, relying on a plethora of bounce-back seasons is not going to pan out, no matter how you look at it. And I know a lot of people are saying that, oh, this was a punt year, but it's pretty apparent the team and the general manager didn't actually feel that way. They were genuinely trying. And I think that the whole methodology was just flawed. And if they're going to continue that methodology and they think that's a legitimate way to be successful, I think there's going to be rough times ahead. I think the strategy going into 2019 was if we put together a good enough team, we can compete and we could do good things. But if it ends up sucking, then let's not harm the team long term. Let's focus on 2020 and see what happens when we get there. And ultimately, we're seeing the fruits of the latter coming true in that the team is just... I mean, we are almost 500, which is crazy to say. And it seems like the worst possible outcome has come true for almost every single player. So if you think about it, if even just a couple of guys had performed up to what Epler had been expecting, the team could be in much better shape. I think that that is the exact line of thought that is such a trap that people keep falling into. And I think you actually think it's a trap too. I think you're kind of just being devil's advocate here. No, I I understand that it's a trap. I'm just saying, like, I'm playing the what-if game because I feel comfortable in doing so because so many many players have had such bad seasons. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna, and, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bite. I'll bite here. Yeah, so sure. first of all, before we even dive into like roster construction, the Angels' 2019 strength of schedule has not been difficult. It has been very easy so far, and the gauntlet yes. is coming up in the next, you know, in the next four to six weeks. Okay, let me so, just respond to that real quick because you know this 500 whatever the, their record is is pretty inflated by quite a few games. It's right, sub 500. It's sub 500, but I don't think you can go over two-thirds of the season and say, like, oh, it's been weak. I know we have a strong September coming up, but it it is kind of a weak argument. Like, uh, if we had faced Astros a couple more times and the Mariners a, f- a couple fewer times, we'd be, like, five games under five hundred. And Which is not... It's bad, but it's not, like... That's bad. <laughs> it's not... Okay, it's not, like, bad, bad. You know what I mean? That's, that's significant. It's pretty bad. That's significant. <laughs> yeah, but okay. it, it would be five games under 500, and I'll let you continue. It would be five games under 500 with everyone performing at career worst, worst levels. Anyway, keep going. So the Angels have ten games left against the Astros. They have seven games left against the Red Sox. Who aren't great, but we'll lose, so it's fine. Who are who are currently almost contending for a wild card and almost have 60 wins. So they are very good. Um, still three more They're against not Cleveland. good. They're just They're better not, yeah, than us. Yeah, three yeah. more against the Rays, three against the Yankees. Um, at least, what is that, six? Six Wait, against the, the Athletics. I thought we already yeah, finished sure. our Rays series. So that no, is, no, no, no. That was a way. Of the games left, that is significant. That is a huge strength of schedule that gets so much tougher. This team, if you had an average strength of schedule, I think this team would be at least five games below 500. Even aside from the strength of schedule problem, yeah, I don't Jeffrey, want to get into the strength of schedule argument. I don't. I think even it's kind aside of from that, okay, because I don't, yeah. I don't know if I believe in that either. I think like a streaky team or the or the right hotness can. I mean. The Indians yeah, sucked okay. the first yeah. half of the season, but anyway. Um, no, I think that even aside from that, the, just the main the main thing about that is, first of all, we did have a lot of overperformances, okay? I don't think anyone expected anything from Tommy LaStella, except for me. Um, <laughs> I was one of the first people all to... All right, all right, all right, okay. okay. ...be on that train. No, but I don't think anyone expected that. I don't think that anyone realistically expected Upton to be a meaningful contributor. If they were, then they didn't watch last season. Wait, Upton? That is a bold statement right there. You just claimed okay. that no one expected Upton to be 
That is a very bold statement. Wait, Ed, over, you're him in the over, over alternative options based Justin on. Upton. Justin Upton was projected by Steamer for at, for about roughly three wins. Conservative, that's significant. yeah. And that Steamer is very conservative. In a half season? No, no for like 2019. Season, yeah, before, you before the year begun. Yeah, but after he gets injured, first of all, a major foot injury, okay? Wait, but you have team, to realize no, 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 people no. that's not something that people you can People totally predict. downplay foot injuries, okay? Okay, um but the team had already been constructed by the time he got in his foot injury. So it's not like it's no, not like No, I'm saying I'm saying by the time he got back. Like when we were when we, everyone was like like, "Oh, well we're going to get Upton back soon. We're going to get Andrew and Simmons back soon. We're going to get Otani back soon." Remember all those conversations? Yeah, but I'm just saying the team construction with Upton projected for a full season. If you have to take that into account when we're discussing what happened this offseason, not what happened when he got back from injury. And where was our offense and our our outfield offense and our wins above replacement in the outfield before he came? Why was everyone so upset that Pueyo was dropped? Because we were already doing fine without him. Nobody expected him to be a more meaningful contributor than what we had already gotten to that point. Nobody did. Everyone was upset because Pueyo was dropped. Right. So I don't, you, you, I don't you, think you everyone was upset. <laughs> so then you have to not factor in the overperformances from Pueyo and Goodwin because we had already expected that production from Upton per se. So it's not like those people overperforming added anything to and the we team. And we were already a 500 team, if even. Everyone was saying that that was going to be what put us over the top. That's what I'm telling you. That Upton was Everyone be- seems to think that these overperformances are indicative of us being a better team than we are. No. This has always been the road for us. This has always been the expectation. 500 at most has always been the expectation. That's the whole point. I'm when confused. Brian Goodwin was performing at his absolute peak in the first part of the season, that's what we expected a normal performance from Upton to look like, which was not good. It wasn't great. You, it's an you're, 800 you're, you're, OPS guy. No, you're in, helping in an make offensive my era. argument because that means that none none of who was expected to perform at even an average level or overperform actually factored in and the people who did matter the harvey cahill allen luke roy they actually underperformed you're looking at what i'm saying the wrong way though i'm saying that none of the guys that we said oh well if they had gone ahead and performed like we expected we would be doing better that's what you were saying and i'm saying that upton was never expected to perform better than an overperformance from brian goodwin andrew simmons was never expected to overperform in my opinion because well let me just say i got a lower opinion of simmons than everyone else but (laughs) in my opinion simmons was never expected to outperform peak david fletcher however zach kozart for the beginning of the season if you want to make that point if we did not have kozart or borges we'd probably be 500 right this moment or a little bit above i think we're using the same argument the same point to further both their arguments, because the way I'm seeing it, it makes sense. Well, but it's all subjective, the... as you're saying. Right. It's subjective to how you view it, and in my opinion, it's it's all opinion based. In my opinion, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just saying I think the roster construction was fine for the goal that we're going to contend in 2020, and if everything goes right in 2019, um, sure, like that was obviously the goal. You can debate the goal, the overall picture, whether or not it was right to attack the team to to build the team with 2020 in mind and totally give up on 2019 unless everything went right but i think that the roster was constructed perfectly for that goal if that makes sense well look what i'm gonna say all all i'm gonna say is if billy epler was truthful in his statements to the media in that the angels are going to contend in 2019 and he built his team based on that exact statement then the additions that he added in the offseason are absolutely damning yeah but why does why does he have to be why does he have to be truthful to the media why is he supposed to be truthful like why does he have an obligation to hey jeffrey yeah do you like being being contrarian right now 
no, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely you are why he... your discussions and you, your opinions you like outside of the podcast are completely different than they are inside no, I'm you completely change your mind because first of all first of all speaking helps me organize my thoughts second i do i do agree that he had a terrible offseason because of the result and what happened Third, my whole argument is that if he was attacking the season with this plan in mind, then he accomplished his goal and the worst case scenario happened. But I don't think he made it that way. It's not just the okay. fact that he like like I mean obviously he said like like oh we're trying to compete now. I mean that's that's a, a whole other thing of course. But if you're actually keeping in mind 2020 and that's what your focus is there mm -hmm. then you're not going to go ahead and make the additions you made you're going to make subtractions and those subtractions are going to get you talent back for the future that's not what he did that isn't who what he's doing subtracted? who would have been subtracted this he is Heaney? stalling heaney like this, he this is stalling heaney and skaggs Honestly. would have been two really obvious ones by the way but he yeah, but is they would have been stalling by adding one-year contracts, and we've been over this. It's a stall. Tactic. They would have been they would have been additions in the back end of the rotation in 2020. I I would have felt comfortable with them pitching. Of who? Heaney and Skaggs. Yeah, in 2020, in the at the back end of the rotation. Heaney and Skaggs would have been but great. They trades. would be worth way more if you traded them. Yeah, way more. Makes no sense to keep them if you have two seasons on the docket and you're not going to be competing for one of them think Why about it you, you have two left-handed starters with extreme talent okay skaggs obviously was worth more than heaney but heaney has the talent and he has the upside there and if they can fix that if they can fix his um his what am i trying to look for what's we're looking for um where he's throwing the ball inconsistencies release arm points. slot his release point probably, but basically, if he was hitting the top part of the zone, basically, he'd be elite. When he when he elevates the pitches, he's absolutely outstanding. But those two pitchers right there, and I do believe that the Yankees actually were scouting them, like was rumored to have happened last year. Had we tried to go ahead and market them, I'm sure we would have gotten talent. And we would have gotten good talent, and it would have been maybe mid or upper minors, and we would have seen them coming through. Skaggs was valuable. He was very valuable, especially after last season, how good he was for the first two-thirds of the season. People want that kind of talent, especially with his curveball. So I definitely think that we could have gone ahead and made some moves, but that's the thing. If you go ahead and trade those guys for talent for the future, then you're admitting to selling, whether you say it or not, and Artie will never accept that. And I'm not saying it's all Billy Upper's fault. It's mostly Artie's fault for instilling this mindset of, oh, we're just not a seller. We're not someone who rebuilds. We're well, always going to go for it. But that kind of logic is incredibly faulty, and it's always going to fail. Sure, sure. You have to. At some point, you have to become a seller. Yeah, okay. I understand. Yeah, you make really good points. I'm just saying if <laughs> I were Artie and I owned this team, I would also have the same mindset. I would never give up on any season in which I had Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And I would try to retool. Obviously, 2020 is the goal, or at least that's how I—that's what I think that that their goal is. If it's not, then who knows? You know. Well, but realistically, 20... I do think that if they had traded Heaney, Skaggs, and Andrelton Simmons, the whole system would be completely restocked. We'd have an—we'd have a crazy influx of talent right now, and the team would be in a completely different position than they currently are. That's what my—that's what my current belief is, and. I mean, with the way that Andrelton Simmons' value completely tanked, and nobody could have ever predicted that, right? Um, then, <laughs> I mean, we just we completely we just completely missed the boat on every single up and comer we have, every single talent we have. We just we don't cash in. Yeah, while, we don't take while, advantage of it. Maybe while we, may I mention, completely failing to develop any talent that we do have. Okay, sure, sure. Maybe we do that. We unload Heaney, Skaggs, and Simmons, right? And then Trout doesn't sign an extension. And then in two years, maybe we have a bunch of prospects and we have no Trout. And who knows what's going on in two years. At least we have a baseline right now. We have Trout and Otani, and then we'll figure the rest out. Okay? You know, I'm really glad that Jessica's not here to reel us in this time. Um, <laughs> bring us back to the actual subject matter. Because this is the exact 
debate that we've wanted to have. You know, we've wanted to um, really get at the crux of the issue and talk about what the problems are and why we didn't solve these issues. And Look, I think that I, mean, okay. I think that Jeffrey is the voice of the the masses right now. And r- even though he he totally believes something different, I guarantee. Okay, let me let me flesh different. out my full opinion. Okay, H H T Ennis versus Jeffrey Tan. This this exactly this dichotomy. <laughs> the dichotomy. Here is my firm opinion. I think that Epler should not get twenty twenty. Okay, he probably will, and I will be fine with that too. I it's not strong that I think he should be fired. I think he had a plan for 2019. The plan for 2019 was try to do the best that I can without hurting the team long-term if everything goes wrong. And everything that I did in the offseason of 2019 ended up sucking. But 2020, we will be better. And if he doesn't make the playoffs in 2020, he's getting fired. He's also done I a think... bad job of building up the farm system to be to have a continuous influx of talent as opposed to drafting the guys who will be at the major league level and trading for them, like Renjifo, Canning, Suarez, and then tank the whole farm system's um, like ranking and the whole value of the farm system after Adele. That is my opinion. I think it's a totally fair opinion. I'm a little closer to Rahul's opinion that Billy Epler and Artie are in cahoots um, with a game plan of profit maximization rather than actual success. Um, that's my opinion. But I do see your opinion as long as you agree that Billy Epler probably shouldn't have the job in 2020 based on his track record and um, based on, you know, the performance of the team during his tenure. I'm just going to say that, you know, we didn't have this history of injuries prior to Epler. That's not necessarily yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's that's not totally necessarily him, but it might be his hires. And yeah, you, you don't necessarily know how much... I'm. I don't. I'm not arguing one way or another to place the injuries on him yeah. or not on him because we don't know. The truth is, we don't know. All we know. Well, the is, thing is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say. Well, <laughs> this is going back to what we were saying earlier, though. Yeah. It's either his hires have done a terrible job of keeping players healthy, or his acquisitions are just injury innately problems. designed to fail. They're defective. Or we. Or we just been unlucky. Because Which we if, don't know. If you have that mindset of velocity is the biggest indicator of success, it's also the biggest indicator of Tommy Tommy John. John. Yeah, that's that's fair. (laughs) What were you saying, Rahul? I forgot. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But if you look, so if you look at Cashman, right? Epler trained, learned. He was Cashman's number two. You look at the people they have right now, the pitchers. They have um, Hap. They signed Hap, who has been pretty much a disaster. He has an ERA over five. They traded for Paxton, who has a first inning ERA in the double digits. Uh, Tanaka is keep is the only thing that's keeping their rotation alive right now. Uh, Severino's out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I think, I mean, pitching might be a problem for them. They, they've traded for established pitchers like Britton and Chapman and told them to go loose, to let them loose, and they try to cobble it up enough offense. To see if they can the win. Thing about, and it's working for the Yankees. How does Jay well, the thing Hap about have there. a... Sorry, Rick, go ahead. No, how does Jay, Jay Hap have a 1F4 and a 5.29 FIP? Yankee Stadium. This it, makes it no also, sense. Yeah, it's, it's the, it's the park and also sense. the era. It's the park and the era. That's crazy. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, going back to what Jeffrey was just saying... Um, Ah, oh, crap. What were you even saying? Oh, never mind. Okay, so... That was Tyler Yankees. The thing is, like, obviously, as you know, Epler came from the Yankee system, um, and he worked closely with Cashman. And I think that, I mean, first of all, the Yankees pitching the past couple weeks has also been downright abominable. Um, and yeah, they also ruined they, Sonny Gray temporarily. About it. Yeah. Yeah. And they ruined Sonny Gray. They complaining about it. And they wanted to add a starter. But the thing is, like, they have the same game plan that Epler does. And lately, they've been having the same track record of failure. Um, You know, they are of the mindset that you always go ahead and use your best pitch. You throw fewer fastballs. You throw more breaking balls. You throw more curveballs. You throw more changeups. You throw, you know, you throw everything. To get ahead into the count instead of finishing them off. Exactly. You You throw everything but the kitchen sink. And I think the fact is, 
I think that ruins pitchers. First of all, obviously, they're used to throwing fastballs. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a pitcher, but I do want to say that you know they're pretty accustomed to throwing normally, like 70 percent of the time, fastballs, and to all of a sudden have them throwing their arm, throwing their arm out differently. More consistently, almost fifty percent of the time, like for example, Jaime Berea and Felix Pena, who have also struggled this year, mm-hmm. for them to do that kind of thing, you know, first of all, injury risk I think is much more likely with anything but a fastball, unless you're throwing like hundred and five, like Jordan Hicks. And second of all, I think that, you know, I think I just don't think it's going to be successful. I think that the fastball is meant to set up your out pitch. I don't think the out pitch is meant to set up a fastball. I think it's just. A terrible philosophy. And I, me, I was the person who encouraged this type of behavior. In my very first post that I wrote for Halo's Heaven, I was I like, wow. Yeah. I was like, wow, Epler is so evolution- revolutionary. You know, he's he's encouraging JC Ramirez and all these other pitchers to throw fewer fastballs and more curveballs, more sliders. I think Victor and it's and really would take... agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, he would. And. The fact of the matter is, I think that's ruining our pitchers, and I think that the Yankees are undergoing the same problems, and I think that every team that does this to the degree that the Angels and Yankees are, I think they're destined to have pitching problems. Okay, okay. And a so lot of teams have gone that route. Because you compared the Angels and the Yankees so well, here's what I want to say about that comparison. You can look at it one way and say that the pitching sucks, which it does. The I'm looking at it a different way, and I'm seeing that they signed LeMahieu, who's been amazing. I wanted LeMahieu, by the way, but everyone was like, Coors, Urshela's doing well, Talkman. Everyone who they've brought up have has unexpectedly performed really well. Their their rotation has Tanaka. Andrew Heaney could have served that purpose, and a bunch of other guys, like Paxson, who's been terrible. Other people, there are replacements for those individuals and had the angels seen that same type of success that the yankees have seen then we'd be in a much different situation and that's my final thing that's my final point on the matter is that if we had been as lucky as the yankees we would be in a wild card spot i think the difference between the angels and every other really good organization right now is that other organizations are actually able to develop their talent really well by harnessing data and communicating that to their players and understanding what makes them good and what makes them bad, what are their strengths, what should they do more of and less of. The Angels aren't doing that well, and their player development has been downright terrible. It's not a matter of luck. At some point, it's a matter of skills and how well are you able to communicate to your players what they're good at and what they're bad at and getting more players which you can improve. To your point, Jeffrey, I think that the one problem with that is that not only are the Yankees lucky a lot of times Mm -hmm. but they also have the resources to take care of their bad luck in what way first of all first of all their farm second of all their actual front office is way more developed than the angels especially their medical staff and everything else Uh, they have a lot more resources than us just because they're freaking filthy rich like <laughs> like Drops the hammer. Yankees the Yankees just have a lot of different assets that other teams, you know, they they can't lay claim to. So, it's really hard to be a Yankees team when you want to act like an A's team. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Now, anyway, we should move on to the pitching this week before we run out of time. <laughs> uh because I think we're on a hard hour limit right now. Um what do we see this weekend? The best pitcher for the Angels in terms of ERA and whip, Felix Pena, he's injured. Uh, <laughs> Griffin Canning, he's injured. Griffin Canning also had a zero ERA. He had his best start of the year, six scoreless innings. He's injured. Luke Bard, injured. Fe- Felix Pena was solid. He's injured. I, Yes, that was who I started with. Yeah. Dylan yeah. Peters, he's not injured, and he had a really great really great. Um, bulk pitching appearance yeah he pitched 7.2 innings after uh taylor cole had um some trouble getting out of the first inning but the problem is it was all like it all (laughs) came when the game was over it wasn't high leverage (laughs) pitching you know everyone knew the indians were going to win that game and just kept out there chugging 7.2 innings three runs so it was good but we don't i like you can't 
project from that appearance is what I'm saying. It's like someone going out, a position player throwing out, throwing a perfect eighth inning in a 19-2 game. You at the same time, though, at the same time, though, we haven't had any pitchers give us that kind of performance, whether the game was out of hand or not. So, in his defense, I mean, great job, Dylan Peters. <laughs> well, yeah, look, getting us through the game. Job, Peters. It was a great performance, but no one cared. Let's put exactly, that yeah. but but I mean, like I said, even when people didn't care, our pitchers have sucked. So, to his credit, I mean, great job for resting the bullpen, man. Yeah, Ho- hopefully he slots into the starting rotation moving forward. Um, I the Angels need I like some Peters. Out of yeah, he's definitely staying with everything that's happening. He's staying. Yeah, I've liked Peters since the preseason. I think that I th- I always thought that we should have had him on the on the team, but even when we even when the team was really really bad. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but he's been solid for us most of the year. He had one one bad start, and I think that was the only start where he actually, like, he, he either had one start or two. I think most of his stuff has been bulk pitching, like, as a reliever, as a long reliever. Yeah. I, um, other pitchers from the week, Taylor Cole, Luis Garcia, over three whips, meaning printing pitched, um, over three hits and or walks in said inning. Buttery, Robles were shaky as well. Anderson as well. Looking down the list. Bedrosian was okay. He gave up a home run in two innings of work. Really the only success out of the bullpen, if you could call it that, was JC Ramirez. Which is surprising. And his was, his was also like super garbage time. Like ultra garbage Exactly, time. but but I mean, you know, I've been saying that Ho- that J.C. Ramirez and um, several other of the pitchers that have been injured, like Keenan Middleton and stuff, when they come back, there's gonna be garbage. Well, J.C. Ramirez has kind of proven me wrong a little bit. He's been—I I, don't—I haven't seen his velocity because I haven't really ninety-two. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think it's gone above ninety-two. I haven't really watched his 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 plays because uh, I've I've just kind of like tuned out. But <laughs> no, but he um, he definitely performed. Ever since coming back from the from the uh, injured list, and you got to give him some credit because I was not bullish. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, he's only pitched four innings, so let's let's hold off before we make any sudden judgments. But the well, early Buttrey only pitched two and two thirds, and he had a nice. ten ERA. So, <laughs> well, he's had a lot of data this season, so it's not. Oh, okay, you're okay, gonna go we're, ahead and bring up that argument too. No, no, we only have <laughs> we only have thirteen minutes left. We're not gonna get into Buttrey. <laughs> we, we, do, we can table that for next week. No, I'm but, just saying we haven't yeah. seen a lot of JC Ramirez. That's okay, all I'm okay, saying. stop talking, stop talking, Rahul. I don't want to hear your sass. Anyway, we're gonna go ahead and focus on next week. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna focus. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna focus for just a couple minutes, and then we're gonna argue about something else. Um, so we have the Reds coming up on Monday and Tuesday. We have an off day on Wednesday, and then the Red Sox for four games, and all are away. What are you guys thinking um, we're going to do? Zero and six. I think that zero and six would be likely. But it's hard to see the four-game series, <laughs> as Halo's Heaven likes to tell me. So, As I like to say. Yeah, and one and five. Two and four is probably the most realistic. But yeah, I think but one and five is going to happen. I'm like, not in the mood to be right. I just okay. want to say zero oh, and six. I think the bottom is gonna fall out really soon. I I don't know. I'm how... I'm gonna say that Rick Porcello is an obvious win for us, even though I predicted earlier today he will probably throw a complete game shutout against us. So I've hedged my bets. Um, Rick Porcello is one of the absolute worst pitchers in baseball, and even though we should have beaten. The other worst pitchers in baseball in Jordan Zimmerman and literally every Tiger pitcher and um, every Orioles pitcher. I think that maybe we have a lock on that one. So I'm going to say one in five. I think assuming that anything is a lock is very optimistic. Well, I assumed that sweeping the Tigers was a lock, and I definitely am eating my words on that one. If this makes sense, I think two and four will happen, but I predict one in five, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I think I think one in five is my best guess, 
But I also would not be surprised to see us go 0-6, um, as Rahul and Jeffrey both said, because, frankly, we've looked downright horrible. I, I just... I just don't even know how to just how to put into words the level of badness when you lose to the worst and second worst teams back to back. I think and you're supposedly uh, hot coming off the Dodger series. I'm looking, I think we've conveyed our disappointments. Yeah, I'm looking at the matchups for the week. Um, looks like we have Sandoval, uh, Patrick Sandoval, making his major league debut. Against Luis That's Castillo exciting. Monday. That's going to be exciting. Hopefully he gives us some. <laughs> Luis on. Castillo. What a great start. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a great debut. <laughs> that is not looking good. Jose Suarez against uh, Descafani. Descafani. Yeah, him. Descafani, yeah. Um, on Tuesday. That's a loss. I that, think, yeah, that's a wishy-washy one. But Suarez probably. That's definitely a loss. It'll man. be hard for him to get out of the fifth inning. So if he pitches five, I consider that a win in my book. I'm back to the okay. moral victories thing. Okay, so definitely two two for six, two and six, uh, two for four then. Uh, the Red Sox two and four. Oh my sure. god! I think that's the most likely outcome. The Red Sox should have everyone but Eduardo Rodriguez. So that's Kashner, Porcello, Price, and Sale. Sale should be fun. Um, and Porcello is probably Trout's best chance of homering at Fenway. Sale is a mystery. I don't know if we'll get hot again in time for that, but. He's been either the worst or the best every single start. But Nothing in between. Is so sterling though. Like they, you just expect that he's gonna put up a twelve strikeout performance with the Angels. That's I mean, he he'll definitely strike us out twelve times, but he'll probably also give up six runs. And we'll still lose, probably. And we'll still lose, exactly. Cause Mookie Betts will get to bat against us. Yes. <laughs> and Bogarts. And Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers, and J.D. Martinez. Fun times. That and Brock Holt's also an angel killer for some reason. <laughs> so why don't we take a yeah. moment and talk about Patrick Sandoval for a few minutes. Um, it seems like that's the only thing exciting for the next week, so we no, might as no, well no, be excited about no, There's one other something. thing, but we'll talk about that in a second. Yes, yeah, Sandoval has a 6.41 ERA in Triple A uh, Salt Lake, which is half and a run better than the average team member on that team. Oh, God. So that's good, I guess. Well, He's above Well, to average. be fair, Salt Lake is, like, the most offensive Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's, like, he's above average. In the PCL. He's above average. Yeah. He, it's, above it's, average for what? Against the It's bees? impossible to tell. Yeah, against the Bees. It's literally impossible to tell for the Bees the, what's a good pitcher and what's a bad pitcher. Yeah, the, be, the Bees are terrible, though. That's not really saying much. Well, yeah, remember when Griffin Canning, that. Griffin Canning was awesome for them. Yeah, I mean we don't know for Sandoval. What I is? Mean, what's the other thing you want to talk about? Yeah, Rick. What was the other thing? Well, no, I was going to say the other the other exciting thing other than Patrick Sandoval is going to be Joe Adele. He's finally been called up to AAA. He's been pretty exciting. Yeah, hopefully they put some. Uh, B's games on FSW instead of the Angels games, and I'll have more fun probably. Can we Most just have likely. Victor call those games with yeah. Klauske? Klauke. And, yeah, Klauke. Is it Klauke? I think it's Klauke. They've said it a couple times when he's done the radio. Oh, Don't gotcha. call me on that, though. I'm not 100% sure. Okay, so real well, quick, I mean, let's go back to Patrick Sandoval. Let's give him two minutes <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> before we go to Joe Adele for the rest of the time. Um... So Patrick Sandoval acquired in the Martin Maldonado trade at last year's trade deadline. Um, he came over and the highest level he had pitched in was in high A. Um, starter had started to come into his own. The Angels acquired him. He rocketed up the system pretty quickly. Um, hasn't made too many starts overall, um, but has made 15 starts in Triple A. This year, 9.85 strikeouts per nine, um, a sterling plus over five walks per nine, and also a sterling over one home run per nine. Um, ultimately, Patrick Sandoval is a, is a more, should expect a more fringy pitcher um, who's, who rose through the system by... Um, by lack of pitching above him. <laughs> by being extremely good against the competition 
Um, but at the that same too, time, yeah. exposing weaker hitting um, as his secondary offerings had finally matured a bit. And now he'll face a much larger test in the majors where fringy pitching won't be able to hold up as much. But ultimately, it's, it is his debut. He's a starter. Um, we'll see what the Angels can do with him. And that should be exciting. I- I think that the main the main concern here, because he's, as you said, he's been pretty solid with the strikeouts, especially over the past year or so. Yeah, that's pretty good um, for, for Salt Lake City where the pitches don't break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in 2018, he was absolutely exceptional at striking people out. Um, so his home run per nine... Yeah. His home run per nine has been solid for AAA. Um, and his home run per fly ball rate is expectedly high because it's, it's Salt Lake. But... The one concern that we have is that, as you said, that walk per nine is 5.22 with in AAA this season. And that's really, really bad. Um, that's honestly concerning. It's way higher than it's been in any other place. But as you said, the pitches don't break, so maybe he's just getting some, as you say, bad breaks um, huh. with his, huh. with his uh, huh. zone just because huh. everything isn't going where he's expecting it to. So hopefully yeah, maybe- we'll see him... Re- Maybe Stasi will help. Maybe Stasi will help. Um, Sandoval's strikeouts per nine in 2018 in Double A was 12.36. In 2019, that number was 14.4, and walks were below four per nine as well. Yeah. So definitely good stuff from Sandoval. So we'll see what happens. Triple A, especially the Pacific Coast League, is obviously a different beast completely. so we don't know how much you should actually read into those numbers. But as a pitcher, if you can do well in double A, then you've definitely got the stuff to be a major leaguer. Uh, in all fairness, he's projected to have probably the best ERA on our team. <laughs> By yeah. Steamer, 4.56 ERA. Uh, that's not bad for this yeah. team. That'll be a win. <laughs> That'll be a big win. <laughs> and, I mean, like I said, between the home runs... And like the home run per fly ball rate, the BABIP, the walks per nine, it looks like maybe he is just his line in AAA is just a product of the ballpark. Hopefully, that's what I'm hoping, but we'll have to see. Yep. And like I said, going back to Joe Adele for a second, he's he's done pretty solidly in AAA since being called up there as well. Um, he has a, after today he has a 2.86 average and an 8.01 OPS as a 20 year old. That's not too shabby for your first, like, four games. He's been showing some stuff. Most notably, the walks. He's been walking quite a bit. Have you guys noticed that? Yep. It's crazy. That's really good to see from him because that's what his biggest struggle was, was taking pitches. Speaking of seeing him, we might see him in September, would you say? Woo! I really am hoping so. Um, It would really give us a reason to watch. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, he has a he has a twenty oh, over a twenty percent walk rate right now in Triple A. He had a ten point four percent walk rate in Double A. You know, you like to see those double digit walk rates from him because nobody was expecting that as of last year. With his uh, he had like single digit walk rates in in High A and Double A and crazy strikeout numbers. Yeah, exactly. So you gotta love that. Like that's definitely giving a much higher floor to Joe Adele than we had seen previously. That definitely gives more of a, you know, a Joey Gallo or a approach. Exactly. It gives more of, it gives more of that, that true TTO approach that you really are expecting from a player like him. And I think that we're going to, I think maybe with a walk rate like this, if he can continue it, we might see something a little bit better than the Justin Upton comps that he's, that have followed him for quite a while now. And remember, he is only 20 years old, and he's a young 20 at that. So he has a lot yep. more development left to go. He's not a finished product by any means. He's going to continue getting better and better and better, and we'll see where he ends up. And hopefully In, that's Anaheim soon. To his, uh, really fast, the... <laughs> really fast, um, I just want to mention that, you know, when Mike Trout was a prospect... He was the second best prospect in baseball. And Joe Adele, 
I think he's pretty solidly in the running for the second best prospect in baseball. So his career is definitely paralleled pretty nicely. But we're going to go ahead and wrap up now. We thank you guys for joining us and have a great day. Goodbye, everyone. Hopefully that was enough rage for you all. Grr.